Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of A Disciple's Point of View. So last week we talked about the seal judgments of the book of Revelation. This week we're going to talk about the trumpet judgments. These are the next series of judgments that God falls down upon the earth during the 70th week of Daniel and or also the events recorded in the book of Revelation. So we're just going to jump right in as usual. And I'm going to say, folks, it goes from really bad to absolutely even worse, okay? Now, keep in mind, a lot of people want to say that the seal judgments or even the trumpet judgments are not God's wrath. Because we know, according to 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 1 Thessalonians 5.9, that the church is not appointed to wrath, right? So this body of believers right now under the new covenant is something called the church, Ecclesia in the Greek, which means called out ones. And it's a unique manifestation, according to uh, Colossians 1, verses 24 through 27, of individuals made up mostly of what's called Gentiles, non-Jewish people, right? So the new covenant was actually prophesied in the Old Testament. And when I say Old Testament, I mean the writings of the Old Testament that when they were under the Old Covenant, right? When they were under the covenant of law, and having to do the sacrifices and the ceremonial law and all this and that. Um, so it was prophesied during that time period, right? In the book of Ezekiel, the book of Jeremiah, and the book of Daniel, to some degree what the Messiah would actually do in Isaiah chapter 53. Basically, the people of Israel were to receive this new covenant, and they would enjoy the new covenant while they were in the land that God gave to their forefathers. See also Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15, right? But that didn't happen, right? The people of the day and largely the religious leaders probably is what spurred this on of Jesus's day, largely rejected Jesus as Messiah. This is something, the church is something that was not prophesied in the Old Testament. It was alluded to, you look at the end of Romans chapter 10, and there's a few quotations from the Old Testament, how, how God was found by a nation that did not seek him, that kind of thing, right? But there's no overt statement saying that the new covenant would be enjoyed by the non-Jewish people or the Gentiles. And yet, here is the church almost some 2,000 years later, if you listen to my podcast last Thursday, you know why I think that Jesus has delayed some 2,000 years from coming back and gathering his people unto himself, right? Um, it's to basically allow for time for God to be merciful to the world so that nobody will have an excuse and also to show God's mercy in bringing the Jewish people back into the land that they have been enjoying now since May 14th in 1948. They've also recaptured Jerusalem since 1967. And we're coming up on about 70 years in 2027. It's going on. Oh, I'm sorry. That'll be 60 years in 2037. It'll be 70 years. And it's that whole thing. This generation shall not pass away. A lot of people believe that around 70 years is a generation. Anyway, I digress. But basically the church is an entity that is not promised wrath largely because it's mostly made of Gentiles. And the New Covenant is all about the Israelites, the Jewish people, if you read through the Old Testament. So basically, once the rapture occurs that I talked about several weeks ago now, right? The rapture occurs and God then can institute the New Covenant or he does institute the New Covenant. There's nothing really preventing him from doing it. 
but he then concentrates on the people of Israel. And we're going to start seeing that, especially as we go through the trumpet judgments, okay? Keep in mind, Jesus is the one unleashing these judgments. The sealed judgments were all opened by the Lamb. The trumpet judgments are no different because the seventh sealed judgment, right, is the basically calling the angels who proclaim these judgments by a trumpet. It's basically the Lord calling them forth once he opens this seal. So we're going to go ahead and read it in Revelation chapter 8. And it says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. This is significant, folks. Okay. When we look at Revelations chapter 4 and 5, we see nothing but worship, 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 worship. If you can think about it this way, heaven is likely a very noisy place. Whenever you go to church, if you've ever gone to a church, if you're a churchgoer, if you're a non-believer, if you've ever been to church before, you're going to know that when you go into worship, it can get loud. Okay. If you read through Revelation 4 and 5, you're going to see it is just worship, 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 and probably worship like we've never seen or experienced before. But here, there's 30 minutes of silence. This is significant because worship then stops. And I think what it is, it's a shock and awe moment. What has just happened is the sixth seal judgment unleashed an earthquake unparalleled that the earth has never experienced before. So extreme that all of the mountains and islands are no longer found. Basically, God levels the playing field, literally. And that judgment, what happened right before it in the fifth seal judgment, the world goes ballistic against God's people and starts killing them in mass. And I believe that in the sixth seal judgment is in response to that. And the seventh seal judgment, everybody is just like, whoa. And they stop worshiping and they're just in shock and awe. That's my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth. But it's significant that in heaven that worship then stops. Okay. Picking it up in verse two. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Again, basically the seventh seal judgment was him calling forth these angels. And it could very well be too. It's like, wait, there are more judgments to come? You know, it's like, obviously, you know, the uh, the Apostle John has given us and written down the apocalypsis, the revealing of Jesus Christ. So we've known about this for a long time. And those who are in heaven at this point, I'm sure know about this, but it's still, it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to see it happening. In verse three, then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And I believe this is probably the prayers of the saints, wishing that God's name would be avenged on the earth when it's been maligned for some 2,000 plus years. And I believe that's probably what these prayers are talking about here. And it's also, you know, obviously they've, they've already seen a mass slaughter of Christians. Right now, I know that, you know, some people who listen to this podcast will sit here and I want to make this as a little bit of a side note. Some people have criticized this podcast because I say Christians. Right. I say on one hand that the church is going to be taken out of the way and we refer to these people called the church as Christians a lot. 
I want to emphasize here that the new covenant has never changed, nor will it, meaning that it's instituted in the same way. People believe upon Jesus Christ to be saved. That faith then renders them uh, the righteousness of Christ on their life. And God then looks at their sin uh, some 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified on the cross. It's this kind of divine legal interaction that takes place. And it doesn't matter if it's during the church age or if it's during the tribulation, or even if it's during the millennial reign of Christ, right? It's instituted in the exact same way. And I've made it very clear that there are going to be people saved during the tribulation. The fifth seal judgment, like I just said, is a mass slaughter of Christians, right? So these are people who were saved after the tribulation began. Keep in mind, God never leaves himself without a witness. If the church is gone... He is going to have witnesses on the earth. The two witnesses that are spoken of in Revelation chapter 11. And I believe they're one of the first ones on the scene after the Antichrist is revealed. Because basically the Antichrist, the first seal judgment, is God giving over the world that to which they've always wanted the most, life without God. And so they give somebody who comes in his own name, see also John chapter 5 verse 43, and they wholly receive him. Israel wholly embraces him, and they are given a false peace. But there are people saved during this time. The two witnesses, it's said in Revelation chapter 11 that they they basically plague the earth with all sorts of plagues and, and, and miraculous signs and all this and that to the point when they're killed halfway through the tribulation by the Antichrist, who then is indwelt by Satan, seemingly resurrected from the dead, that the world sends each other gifts. It's like Christmas time. Their bodies are just broadcast all over the world. See, the two witnesses are finally dead, and they send each other gifts. They're all happy about it. And then they raise from the dead, and very much like in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, God says to the two witnesses who have been resurrected, come up here, and they're raptured off the earth. Okay? So God never leaves himself without a witness. People will be saved during the tribulation period. And that's why I say that Christians are killed during the tribulation. This is not a contradiction in terms. This is something that basically that there is a vacuum of God's people and the Holy Spirit's presence on the earth for a time that allows the Antichrist to be revealed. See also 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I believe that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit indwelling the church. The Holy Spirit's ministry during the new covenant is unique. If you look in the Old Testament, uh, the uh, King David could actually say, I believe it was in Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He could rightfully say that because under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit was not doing his work the way he does during the new covenant where he indwells the believer. And God has already uh, anointed a most holy place. That's us, the blood of Jesus that washes us clean from all of our sins, right? Okay, so I wanted to say that as a little bit of a side note because that's a little bit of a criticism that has come up. Okay, so picking it back up in chapter 8, verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. There were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So there's yet another earthquake once the angel does this. In verse 6, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to, I'm sorry, prepared themselves to sound. Okay, so they're they're getting themselves ready, right? 
They're going to be given the cue, and then they'll announce God's judgment. And so we say all of that to talk about the first one. And it's the first trumpet judgment in verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. This is significant, folks. What is one of the basic things that keeps humans alive? Oxygen, air. A big part of that is obviously vegetation. They always say it's great if you have plants in your house to talk to your plants. The reason why that is, is because they actually uh, need carbon dioxide and they exhale oxygen. And we do the exact opposite, right? And so if God strikes a third of that, that I believe will probably affect the atmosphere and the breathability of the air in the earth and not to mention just things being set on a third of the vegetation on earth. So you think about wildfires, like say in California that just, you know, burn through the season, but now a third of the earth is on fire because God has now struck and placed on fire a third of the, of, of the world's vegetation. Um, already these judgments are markedly different than the sealed judgments. This is God entering into the scene and throwing judgment down. Whereas I believe the sealed judgments were God loosening mankind's nature upon itself until the sixth seal judgment after the world goes after God's people in mass. He then has quick retribution and sends an earthquake that is so severe that the elites of the earth scream for the rocks to fall on them to hide them from the wrath of the one who sits on the throne and of the lamb. Right. Um, the plant life is essential, is essential on earth. They, like I said, inhale carbon dioxide and exhale oxygen. We do the opposite. So it's likely basically a judgment on the air itself. Picking it up for the second trumpet judgment in Revelation chapter 8 and 9. I'm sorry, chapter 8. It is chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. Then the angel sounded the second trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. You know, folks, I didn't really realize how much we actually need shipping. Now, what I mean is, is goods shipped on ships across the ocean. I didn't even realize until obviously after COVID hit and the supply chain was disrupted and all this and that, that a lot of our goods are shipped on ships that cross the ocean. And duh, it, sh it shouldn't be any surprise to me really, but I always thought, well, we don't rely on ships as much as we used to. And so when I read this as a baby Christian, I was like, okay, well, that's not so much a big deal anymore. No, it actually quite is. It actually quite is. Uh, the, the, there's a few uh, YouTube channels that I watch that talk about, you know, uh, air traffic and uh, ships traffic and stuff like that. And and basically what we can discern from all, all of that. And I realized that's where I realized how much shipping we actually do still. So here's the thing. It's something like a great mountain that is mixed with fire and thrown into the ocean. What does that sound like, folks? That sounds like an asteroid that strikes. And somehow it's not planet ending, okay? It's likely an asteroid, like I said, probably coming through the atmosphere and set ablaze. A third of the sea becomes blood and a third of the sea creatures are killed and a third of the ships are destroyed, like I said. So basically this also strikes at the heart of humanity's food supply and logistics. We also eat a lot of, of, uh, of um, seafood, right? We eat a lot of fish and, and whatnot, and a third of them are killed. A third of them are killed. 
um, and likely makes it more difficult to traverse the sea also since a lot of blood is now spilled. And this is likely because of sea creatures that have died along with the people that are killed. Okay, because you have to remember that these ships are inhabited by people who are operating the ships or just traveling. I also learned another YouTuber actually uh, took, uh, I guess, a, uh, a um, I don't want to call it a flight, but a, uh, a voyage, I guess you could call it, on an actual cargo carrier. Apparently, that's a thing. You can do that significantly cheaper than, say, a cruise ship or whatnot, and it's significantly less uh, extravagant. There's not much to do, but there are people that do that. So when a third of the ships are destroyed, a lot of people are going to die. Not only are, is it going to be the, uh, the sea life that is killed, a lot of people are going to be killed too, okay? And it is very possible that this judgment is supernatural in nature again, given that the limitation of the destruction that it actually wreaks is not planet-ending, right? God wants us to experience the terror, and it's like you may think, why would God want that to happen? It's because he's trying to get our attention and drive us to him. So if we realize he's the one actually throwing these judgments down, right? We then, we probably need to get right with this, with this entity, right? But we're going to see as the book of Revelation progresses that a lot of people will refuse to repent and believe, right? So we're going to pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 8. Then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the star, oh, I'm sorry, a third of the waters become Wormwood, meaning bitter. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Likely this is made just merely undrinkable. Uh, we can't drink salt water, right? Because it will dehydrate us. It will do the exact opposite of what we're trying to get it to do. So this is basically a judgment on the fresh water supplies. The second trumpet judgment was a judgment on the seawater. This is now a judgment on the fresh water supplies that we rely on to be able to live. Now, the star could be one of two things. It could be that this is another kind of asteroid or kind of thing, some sort of cosmic event. Or a star has also been referred to in the Bible as an angel. It very well could be because this thing is given a name, Wormwood, which means bitter. Interestingly enough, there is a Wormwood observatory in the world. Google it. It's interesting. I just think that's an interesting side note. So it's likely, too, that, you know, it's either a natural event that God throws on the earth or he loosens a demon. And I believe it would be a demon because it's sitting here with the intent to harm and or kill human beings, right? So I, I probably lean more on the side that it's a fallen angel, and this is based on Revelation 9, verse 1, where a fallen angel is described also as a star, okay? Now keep in mind, we can only live three days without water, and as a result, many, quote-unquote, many die, and there's no specified number. This is why whenever the Bible actually does say in the book of Revelation about the amount of people that die, right, under the fourth seal judgment, I believe it was, a fourth of the earth dies. They give us, the Lord actually gives us an actual number. Um, somewhere else in the trumpet judgments, it's going to say a third, right? But throughout all of these judgments, you know people are dying, especially the, uh, the uh, famines in the third seal judgment, all the many wars and general murder that starts in the second seal judgment. About the only one where people don't just die in mass is going to be the first one wherever the Antichrist is loosed upon the earth and is then given over to that to which they've always wanted the most. Okay, 
So we're going to move on to the fourth seal judgment, um, which is in verse 12 of chapter 8. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. So a third of all natural light sources are struck. That's stars, moon, and sun. And this is clearly supernatural because God causes this to happen. Okay. So, sorry there, folks. I had to clear my throat a little bit. Um, talking this much, sometimes I'll do that. Anyway, so I already read the last remaining verses of chapter 8 in verse 13. Okay. So this something interesting happens. What is described as an eagle flies through the air saying, whoa, like I just said, right? So this is likely an angel pronouncing judgment on the earth. It's already been bad. And it's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whenever oftentimes uh, God or an angel says something three times, it is to heavily emphasize what they're about to say. And they, he is saying this in response to the trumpet blasts that are about to be sounded and the likely also result that is coming in the subsequent judgments. So far, the third of the plant life, a third of the sea life and shipping, a third of the fresh water supplies, and a third of the natural light has been destroyed. And this could be described as, hey, brace yourselves. It's about to get absolutely far worse. And how could it? But it does. So in Revelation chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. This is where you know it's going to get bad. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like a smoke from a great furnace. So the sun and air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but... Only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, and they were not, and they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, but death will flee from them. This is significant to the nth degree. So in the book of Jude, it does talk about basically how there were certain angels that were um, given a time and place and they were kept in gloomy dungeons until the day of the Lord, basically. I'm paraphrasing very much there. And I believe that these could be the ones that was talked about in the book of Jude. This is basically an angel opening up in a way not hell per se, but a place of gloomy dungeons that the book of Jude talks about, right? That these, I believe these are demons. I believe these are demons that have been deceiving in anger for millennia who hate humanity because as I described in the Antichrist podcast, that the Satan and the demons hate us with a passion. And that's probably putting it mildly because we received mercy when they didn't. Now, I did say during that podcast, I didn't go on to illustrate further why just simply dying of old age is mercy. 
So they were cast out of heaven immediately. They're, they lost their places of authority immediately. And they weren't thrown into hell. Hell is actually, by the way, a place prepared for the angels and the devil. We go there because we follow in the same judge, or we follow in the same sin, rather, of Isaiah chapter 14. I believe it's verse 14. I will make myself like the most high. That is the sin of Satan. And that is the sin of the demons who followed after his rebellion. The uh, book of Revelation in, in chapter 12 basically gives us the idea that it was a third of the angels that fell that Satan was able to actually take with them, right? And so these are demons that are loosened upon mankind to torture them for five months because they refuse to repent, right? So this is likely, again, a fallen angel. Also because of in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, he told the disciples that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And it's the same kind of language that's kind of used here. So this is likely an angel that is loosening um, the, the demons from um, their, their place of, of imprisonment and whatnot, like I've already explained. Verse 2 states that when the bottomless pit is open, smoke arises from it like a great furnace. What natural light that remains is darkened because of this. Creatures described as locusts arise from the smoke and are given power to harm human beings but not kill them. Like I said, these are likely fallen angels. They're told to torment people with for five months with physical pain, and many seek death not, and will not find it. They basically try to commit suicide, and God isn't going to allow them to be able to. Uh, they harm everybody except those that were sealed by God. And see also Revelation 7, verse 3, when the 144,000 are sealed, right? Uh, verses 7 through 14 describes these fallen angels. And to be quite honest, their description is rather terrifying. In verse 11, it gets the best insight into their nature. The angel over them is the one called destruction in Hebrew and destroyer in the Greek. So basically, God is giving over the earth to demons to basically destroy them or to torture them, realistically. Destroy their will, basically. And again, why would God do this? A, we've had nearly 2,000 years to repent and we refuse to do so. As a matter of fact, just some of the um, uh, comments that I get, you know, because of this podcast and because I release the videos, more people watch them, there's obviously scathing comments and people who say snide remarks. Again, if you were God, if you had put out your mercy for nearly 2,000 years and these people nearly spit in your face and then tell you you don't exist, Aren't you going to be a little bit upset? And if you say you wouldn't be, you just let them go on their way. I don't really think you're being too terribly honest with yourself. I really don't. Okay, we're going to go forward and go over the sixth trumpet judgment. And this is in verse 13 of chapter 9. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for that day and hour, month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. So I misspoke. I believe I, I, I'm, I'm going to correct myself right here. So I had said that I believe that this is probably uh, one that uh, uh, angels that were alluded to in Jude, the book of Jude. I was mistaken about the fifth trumpet judgment. I believe it's the sixth trumpet judgment that this is actually referring to. Four of them. It's just four of them. Are bound at the river Euphrates, probably just 
for whatever reason, they're, they're kept in that particular area by God. And I believe these very well could be the angels described in Jude 1 verse 6. The angels are described as those who left their proper positions of authority and were kept in chains in gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And they their mission is to, okay, you know, God allowed the torture of human beings for five months. Well, they're going to get their wish now. They go forth and kill one-third of mankind that are left. Since the seal judgments already killed a fourth of the earth's population, and then another third is killed. Now, let's say there's about five to six billion people remaining. This means about 1.8 billion people died just in this judgment alone. They then gather an army of 200 million, and John was very specific about this, saying, I heard their number, likely because in the day that John wrote this down, it likely, this was the entirety of the earth's population. It may have been uh, less than that, actually, uh, if you go back and look, but he was very, very clear about it. It was 200 million, okay? So basically, if you look at some of the armies of the earth, the only ones, and I believe this is a demon-energized army. So it's not a factor of necessarily saying that, that you know, logistically that would be impossible to amass an army that huge. Well, if they're demon uh, energized, if they're given some degree of higher power to operate from, well, you know, you're going to see something like the Walking Dead, if not worse, not if not far, far worse. Okay. And even though it's clear what the uh, gospel is from, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists and the two witnesses, the remaining people refuse to repent and believe in Christ. See also verses 20 through 21. And later, in chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, an angel also proclaims the gospel to the world. So it's very specific here. It says in verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood that can neither see or hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. They refused to repent and come to God for eternal life. And that is significant because, I mean, look at what they're seeing on the earth. It is just, uh, this is indescribable. If you're experiencing this, this is indescribable. It is terrifying. You are literally seeing things that you only see in horror movies. And I dare say that seeing them in real life like this is absolutely terrifying, especially if you're not found in Jesus Christ, especially if you know that if you were to die, you know, you become a Christian during the tribulation period, the day of the Lord, the judgment of that great day as the book of Jude then described in verse six. If you're not found in him, you have probably a good idea of where you're headed, but you still refuse to repent. That's to me, incredible, and not in a good way. So let's go on to the last trumpet judgment, okay? And this is called the third woe. And this is found in Revelation 18, starting in verse 15 down through verse 19. I'm just going to read it, and I'll say some commentary on it. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. 
because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged. And you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, that should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of the covenant of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. So this is the third woe. And the reason why it's the third woe, folks, is because this is the proclamation that God is taking back the earth. This is God taking back the earth. The reason why also it's the third woe is because then after the trumpet judgments are given, the bold judgments are coming. B-O-W-L. The bold judgments are coming. And this is where God's wrath is literally poured out on the earth. I'm not saying that the seal judgments and trumpet judgments weren't God's wrath, but it's literally this idea of God pouring his wrath out, right? Whenever he basically pronounces to the angels to come forth and they come forth and they pour these bowls out on the earth. And it is going to be by far worse. I can't emphasize enough, folks. Believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ and you think that this is just fairy tales, this is not real, I would heavily and heartily implore you to please believe in Jesus Christ. This is coming. We are seeing an authoritarian push all across the world right now. What I mean by that is if you've ever heard of the Great Reset, this is not fiction. I can actually give you some web links to the individuals who are talking about it currently. The media who's saying it's a conspiracy theory are gaslighting you. They're lying to you. Worldwide socialism, they want to institute this, and they want to institute it in an autocratic way. The reason why it's autocratic is because they're going to have control of all of the resources, and they're going to give it to each of us individually where we're all on the same playing field. There was an opinion piece in Bloomberg. It says what the world needs right now is a few good dictators because they know what's best for the people and they have the absolute power to do it, basically is what this piece was saying. This is increasingly the attitude that is sweeping all across the earth, okay? And Israel is back in the land. I can't emphasize how incredibly huge that is. Because that is part of the Old Testament prophecies about the new covenant amongst the Jewish people. That they would be born again, that God would put his spirit within them, and they would walk in his statutes and be careful to observe his ways in the land. See also Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, Jeremiah 31, and Daniel chapter 9. Israel's back in the land, and why would they be there? And they have survived against all odds. They have fought several wars that they should have lost, but they won. It's very much like in the Old Testament when the Lord fought for Israel. And this is how you know it's by grace, folks. If you look at the state of Israel right now, homosexuality is greatly celebrated, especially in Tel Aviv. is said to be one of the gayest cities on planet Earth. In uh, the book of Revelation, uh, it talks about how Jerusalem is figuratively Sodom and Egypt because of how wicked they are. 
This is how you know it's by grace. And this is how you know that God is the one who is moving in, um, uh, according to Ezekiel 36, because of his name, not because of them, but because of his name, he would act because he made promises. He made not only that basically the Jewish people would have the land that he gave to Abraham and his descendants forever with God as the only binding party. See also Genesis chapter 15. But then the scepter would not depart from Judah. See also Genesis chapter 49. And that he would come from Bethlehem. See also Micah 5, 2. And that he would be called great counselor, wonderful God, mighty uh, this and that. I can't remember. Basically, there were about four or five names in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Right? And then there's Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. Then one like a son of man approached the Ancient of Days and received a kingdom that would not be destroyed. This is coming. It's coming very quickly. And if you've never received Jesus Christ, I want you to listen to the next segment coming up in just a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at disciplepov, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V 
at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.